Welcome to the Holistic Icon Podcast, hosted by Dr. Nisha Chellam, a board-certified internist and holistic medicine specialist who understands the science of disease and the art of healing. Every week, Dr. Nisha gives you tips on how to take control of your health, because you are your best doctor. Here's your host and author of Transform Your Thyroid, Dr. Nisha Chellam. Hi, everyone. Dr. Chellam again for our Wednesday afternoon podcast. Today is going to be really very interesting because we have the real doctors in the room. And we have uh, Jason and Chelsea. And they are um, who you should know if you want to think about health and wellness. So Jason, why don't you introduce yourself and let us know who you are so they know why you are the best doctor. <laughs> uh, my name is Jason Smetsky. I am a market gardener is what I like to call myself. I, um, I'm a farmer, basically. We really focus on not only sustainable farming, but also uh, nutrient-dense food. I love that nutrient dense food. That's that's our like um, takeaway from most things is do, are you eating a nutrient dense food? So what is a market gardener? How is it different from a traditional farmer? Uh, the reason I call myself a market gardener is because the scale that we're on. Mm-hmm. So we are only on about three quarters of an acre. We mm-hmm. uh, in our grand scheme we only plan to go on a couple of acres. Okay. And we can actually do a lot more than you can think on an acre. Uh, we use things like. Um, multiple crops per bed Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the year, uh, intensive spacing, and a lot of other tricks to get a lot of food off of a little space. So basically, you do a lot of diversity rather than just one particular crop. Exactly, yes. And uh, does that make it easy or harder? Because everything has, uh, there's a crop cycle, correct? That's a good question. I don't, I think it probably balances out because in one sense, if some crop goes wrong, uh, we have other crops to rely on. Like this year when all of our brassicas got eaten by groundhogs, if we were only brassica farmers, we would, you know. Have nothing. Yeah. But um, in another sense, it makes it harder because there's a lot of planning and there's a lot of moving parts. And so making sure that stays going all year is, can be very difficult. And what's your growing season like? Uh, right now, our growing season starts in January in a basement. Uh, we get our tomatoes and peppers started under lights, and that's so we can get tomatoes in beginning of July, I would say. Wow, that's some planning ahead. <laughs> yeah, and then it goes... Patience. Yeah. <laughs> it goes to about November, um, but the way that we learned, we went to a program at MSU called the Student Organic Farm, mm-hmm. and we learned about growing year-round in hoop houses. Uh, we're just building our infrastructure to be able to get to that point, so hopefully one day we'll be able to grow... Uh, spinach, greens, kale, all sorts of stuff coming out in January. And mm. if, if you guys have ever had spinach out of a greenhouse in January, it's a completely different experience than yeah. spinach in the taste. July. Yes, the because the, the sugars in the plant, the natural sugars, the plant creates more of them as a natural antifreeze. Oh. And so the spinach, it's just like the taste is night and day compared to... Wow. We should Summer go there and get that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to Chelsea also. Chelsea, so what is, are you the backbone? <laughs> um, maybe. He, he does have a lot of good ideas. He's kind of like, all right, this is what we're doing today, and he has all set in his mind. And um, I guess I'm more of like, I don't want to say the face. You're the face. <laughs> <laughs> she emails me from your email, and I'm always talking to Chelsea. I get so confused. <laughs> 
I know I didn't have to change this, but yeah, I do a lot of like marketing and so you're the, okay. talking with like, or, you know, talking with CSA members and like, um, I'm the one that's always at market selling everything. So you're basically his more. agent. He does, yes. he, he comes up with the, and she I'm his manager, I get his products out there. <laughs> she is out there with me harvesting and so planting yes. a lot of the times too. Okay. So let me ask you this. How is, uh, how is your life typically like? What, what, how does your day begin and how does it end? A typical day. Um, you got to get the, we got to get to the farm early. We, there's always, uh, water concerns are very big to us. Mm -hmm. So being in Michigan, um, well just our plants. So most, a lot of our plants, we start in trays that are mm -hmm. filled with soil. Mm -hmm. And so we got these baby plants. And so when we leave for the day at six or seven, uh, they spend the entire night and they're also in a hoop house that a lot of the times has to be closed and night mm -hmm. open during the day mm -hmm. so it's getting there early and making sure that all of those are well watered mm. and then um it is basically figuring out what tests we're going to do that day planting harvesting mm -hmm. doing all that stuff and then our day ends the same way that it begins basically like taking care of those little guys is our main priority till they become strong enough exactly mm -hmm. and luckily this time of year mm -hmm. it's like we're done with transplants. Yeah. So we oh. can, yeah, it's a little bit easier. We don't have to worry about getting over there at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. to make yeah. sure they're not. Yeah, there's nothing else we're planting. Maybe we should just, done. we should try selling them some towel gardens. Might make it easier for them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it waters on its own on a yeah. timer. Oh, yeah, I, I wonder if you can get a timer to do it or some, a, you need a timer and a sensor you then, can. right? The, the reason that I don't go with timers is because A, a lot of the different plants, um, one that we started two weeks before another one, uh, we might go the next day and the ones that are smaller might not need to be watered. Mm, and yeah. overwatering is just as big of a concern as underwatering. The other reason is because when you turn on a timer, you tend to spend less time with your plants. Mm. And so you miss out on like, oh, there's a little bug infestation starting. We need to pull that plant out to make sure that doesn't turn into a major problem. Whereas if you're there like watering, you can be like, oh, there's a bug, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's the main reason that I don't use timers. The one thing I will say right now is pay extra for this homegrown food because listen to how crazy this is. <laughs> All of this effort that goes into it. So really, uh, one of the things I, uh, I asked, uh, if we have in our in the room that you don't see on camera, our medical student, and I asked you. Instagram, you do see it, because I keep posting it. <laughs> oh, okay. So one of the things she wanted to know is, why is it, um, oh, I'm sorry, what is the benefit of getting a produce from a farm rather than getting it from a superstore um, where, you know, they just say, you know, we go early in the morning to the farmer's market and buy it. Of course, they make a little profit off of it. But besides that, why would I go to a farmer instead of just going to the supermarket? Um, well, I think it's like most big supermarkets, like when you're talking about Kroger or Meyer, <laughs> stuff like that, um, you have to think about where was that produce grown and how long did it take for the salad mix to get from point A to point B? which that's the biggest one I come up with, let alone like pesticides, whatever you mm -hmm. use on it, you can't ask them directly what that is. Yes. So there's also a huge like transportation cost. And oh, I forget the number now, but there's something like the amount of energy it takes to get that food from that point to us to where we eat it is nowhere near the amount of energy that we get from it. Like we get a lot less energy that from that food than it takes to grow it and produce it. Um, 
And then also if you buy from a local farmer, you know you get to talk to great bubbly people like us. Yes. And then that's true. <laughs> um, and like your foods harvest like we harvest all of our food like that day. Like you're well most of it that day. Like winter squash is really hard to harvest like that day because you know mm-hmm. it's like all at once or tomatoes, but it's usually within like the past couple of days. Like that's like our food is like super fresh. None of like the nutrients or anything have evaporated out of it yet. And and that's very important. So when you're talking about the nutrient density, the more time it takes from farm to plate and the more miles it travels, one of um, a very popular nutritionist who uh, works out of India, she always says, the more your food travels from farm to plate, the more your navel travels from your spine outward. Mm. So that's one of the reasons you're not nutrient dense. You tend to eat more, you tend to gain more weight. So this is a very nutrient dense, basically unaltered food, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. fresh. And the, I'm sure the taste is very different. And I think that's a major problem with our food system now is that because a lot of the produce is grown out West in California and Arizona, mm-hmm. um, they've bred a lot of uh, vegetables for shelf life. Mm-hmm. And that's what we try to explain to our customers at the market is that a lot of times you're sacrificing taste and you're sacrificing nutrient density because they want these things to be able to last three weeks on the shelf. Correct. And so it's hard to get a good tasting tomato that's not that's able to ship across the country and not have like bruises and cut up and everything like that. So And that's another thing that's very um, it's a very important point you bring Vegetables, when they're grown, literally are uh, imperfect. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the supermarket, everything looks perfect. The banana is perfect. Everything is similar length, similar color. Tomatoes are the same things. So there's you, that is not natural. No. And I don't <laughs> think people realize that because I think the first time I got uh, eggs from somebody who has uh, chickens in their farm, not one egg was to look like the other. Yeah. It's crazy. We have a funny story about Jason's mom. When we first brought home, like, fresh farm, fresh eggs from uh, school where we went, um, she would not eat them at first because she said the yolks were too yellow. They were too golden. <laughs> and she was like, no, it's weird. Like, I don't think they should be, like, that yellow because she's used to, like, the pale grocery store egg. Of, we don't even know what our food is supposed to look like. And that's yeah, a, that is the truth. And the, the truth is, like, we don't know what the eggs actually look like. They have different color shells. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's something that's natural. That's some. Yeah, yeah. it's it's basically a, a bur, uh, the variety of or the breed of bird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So different chickens lay different eggs, and the reason that you, you normally see the standard white egg is because those are chickens that have been bred to produce like above two hundred eggs a year, wow. whereas most chickens. Oh. Do, a natural chicken does not like weigh me, that at many. most like probably like maybe a hundred to one hundred fifty. It's exactly. supposed to be like every other day, like a mm. chicken will pop one out. So this is similar to the carrots, and just so and if you're watching, if you can see the carrots, I don't know if anybody has any questions, but the, these carrots don't look like the typical carrots which we draw in the coloring books, like perfect long triangle mm-hmm. with no roots. I mean. This is and so this on top is I guess a decorative eggplant, right? Yes. You said? Pumpkin on a stick. A pumpkin on a stick. That's and what it's, it's actually on a stick. There's a bunch of little pumpkins on sticks that we have. <laughs> I don't there. know. There, I can us. actually see it on camera. It's right behind, which is on a little mason jar. 
Um, they look like wildflowers, but there's a lot of wild effort put to grow them. So uh, that's something to just take note of. So a, a couple of other quick questions. Um, what uh, is it more expensive to get products from a farm simply because you guys put in so much of effort and it's not, you know, kind of manufactured. It's not like those patented seeds that you just do certain things and it grows and Mm-hmm. Like looks like you guys are raising babies. I th- <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're little babies. <laughs> I think uh, there's multiple issues with the cost. I think a the scale that we do it, uh, the bigger you scale up, the cheaper it's going to be for people. But you're also going to lose that intimacy that gets you uh, really good tasting carrots mm-hmm. and really nutrient dense tasting carrots. Um, mm-hmm. I think that our food. We've kind of, because of the methods that they've been growing with, with um, synthetic fertilizers and everything, they, um, the cost of the environmental implications of how a lot of farmers grow food is not taken into account. And so what we pay for, for a bunch of carrots, let's say, in the grocery store, I think is an unrealistic number for what that, those carrots are actually worth. And when people get used to those prices being so low, now they come to you and they try to buy your carrots for a dollar more a bunch, let's say, that I think are the real value that these are the input. You know, we're not trying to make a ton of money off of our carrots. These are just the real inputs and the real cost of doing business on a smaller scale and doing it more environmentally friendly. And, um, and giving you more nutrient-dense food exactly. that actually shifts your health. Exactly, because when you do practices that are not good for the environment, it, you usually end up producing not as nutrient-dense food. Um, I think... I was going to say, and you're... So, like, that person's not paying the cost, but someone eventually is going to pay the extra cost. The uh, insurance and medical insurance and medical bills. Mm -hmm. And, yep, medical... And then, like, the environmental factor, like, for our children and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a funny thing. As much as we talk about the future, as much as we talk about prevention... Nobody really cares other than the present moment. Mm -hmm. Today, if they can enjoy life, Mm -hmm. that's all they care about. This is what I've learned. I mean, you can, there are, there's a very small group of people who worry about the soil, who worry about leaving a better planet to the kids. But when you really look at in the moment, people think, you know, why would I pay a dollar extra for these carrots um, that are not even half as perfect as the one I get in the grocery store, which I don't even have to clean as much as I would have to clean this. The knowledge behind that is, I think, the education is what is missing. Most yes. people just think this is what carrots are like. All they have to do is try something like this that comes from a farm. And uh, so th- that leads me to the next question. Do you guys do anything educational on your farm? Can we actually bring out people certain days just so that people can be educated about what, how the food is different and why we should support farmers like you Mm -hmm. uh yeah we'd love to have people come out work something up like that because like that's one of our main things um i grew up at eight mile ninkster like my family everything came out of a box or Mm -hmm. out of a can we'd have like maybe a bag of apples and like i can't even tell you how much pop i drank as a child (laughs) um it's you know i won't show you my teeth but just trust me a lot of cavities Mm -hmm. um and so when uh, we went to the program at MSU, like I didn't eat, I didn't eat tomatoes, I didn't eat peppers, I didn't eat eggplants or any of that stuff. And then once I tried it, like from growing it and then eating it, it was like, this is amazing, this is delicious. How come people don't eat like this? And so, 
like I just want to like get it out and like let kids try it because like you know so many parents it's not parents fault because they're busy or that's what they learned how to cook or like you know stuff like that but just yeah so you guys should actually start at the school level you know where they probably should learn a few things maybe uh, getting if there are any school teachers anyone knows please let us know i'll get in on that because i love that kind of yeah so, farming stuff but, it's yeah. funny you said that because last year we went to a was it a kindergarten no, I think was it was a preschool. Preschool. Yeah. And because we had a lady come to the market and say, we, um, she asked her students, where does your food come from? And they all said the grocery store. <laughs> and yeah. she said, I don't. I, so what we actually did was we brought in a bin full of soil mm -hmm. and we harvested carrots and we replanted them just to like show mm -hmm. them like, hey, mm -hmm. this is like, do you see the carrot top? And this is, you You don't normally see carrots like this. It's actually the root. And we kind of showed them, like, and we let them dig through the soil. Right. And it's crazy how responsive kids can be when they can, like, get their hands mm -hmm. dirty. And they, it's like they, it blows their minds that and this is where food comes from. And how they'll eat it, too. Because a little girl that I nanny, she'll be like, no, I don't eat that. I don't like that. Or, she, oh, what'd she say? She hated cucumbers. Right? And I'm like, but you're eating pickles right now. And she's like, yeah, I love pickles. <laughs> like, pickles are cucumbers. Like, you like cucumbers. And she's like. No, I don't like cucumbers, but, you know, I get brought out some hummus, a little bit of cucumbers that we grew, which she lives on the farm, so she knows about it. And she was like, oh, I like cucumbers. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, again, this is really about education. So, really, a couple of things that uh, uh, I guess we'd like to know is how do we support local farms? It's almost like that's what we ought to do in order to move a little more back to the basics. This is really talking about moving back to the basics, except that we moved away from the basics because the basics were so hard. Mm -hmm. And so industrialization has given us the abundance, the food abundance. So whenever a drought hits some farmer, who cares, we still have our food kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's taken us away from the basics of our health. So how do we support? What What is the thing that we can support you so that, that way we continue to get the nutrient-dense food? I mean, obviously, it's a symbiotic relationship. For sure. I would say one of the biggest struggles, uh, this is our fourth year of production. I like to say it's our second real year of production because the first two years were spent pulling rocks out of the field and growing a little bit of cabbage. <laughs> but when you see, if you go to farmer's markets or if you see people online, um, just giving them that initial support of maybe they don't have the best looking bunch of carrots mm -hmm. or the best, uh, you know, looking thing of broccoli, mm -hmm. but it takes a while, a couple of years to really learn the practices to get them down. Uh, we did not have carrots like that our first three years. We had maybe one or two that would pop up with a bed full of weeds. Yeah, <laughs> we eating carrots is the worst. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Everything looks the same. Yeah. And because, you know, like you're saying, like we took a field that was like, you know, you drive by anything that's just full of weeds. Like we took that field and it takes so much work to like turn that into beds that aren't 100 percent weeds, you know. And like now they're just kind of like maybe 50 percent weeds, mm -hmm. but you have that soil health. and Yeah, so what I would say is if you see, um, you know, imperfect food or especially farmers that if you talk to them and it's their first couple of years, just trying to, you know, buy that one or two things from their stand that mm -hmm. look decent from you, that goes a long way 
to actually getting us to that next step, which is buying that next tool, which is going to give you better looking carrots and everything like that. And then you could also say um, a lot of farms have something called um, a CSA or yes. Community Supported Agriculture. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and if you go to the store and like you buy your produce and then if you count like how much per week you're spending on produce, um, like our CSA, it's $25 a week and you get 8 to 12 items. Um, a lot of the items in there, you can just snack on them. You don't need to cook them. Or, and then there's a couple things that you can cook with, like our winter squash now. Um, but just making that transition from buying it at the store to buying it direct from the farmer. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's a little bit weird because you don't, you don't exactly know every week, like, what exactly you're going to get. But just being open to eating, uh, like, what's in season because that's going to be fresher and tastier, too. And then you get like all those different nutrients too that you wouldn't normally eat something maybe but then you try it and you like it so we're coming into the we're rolling into winter though we are just the beginning of fall but fall means winter's arriving um i know that's being like a pessimistic view of things (laughs) however for those of us who who can um you know in the winter season we still want to eat like we have all the foods Mm -hmm. what would you say are the things that would that people can, if they want to grow some food on their own, what do you think that they can grow in their basement with lighting and other stuff during the winter season? Microgreens. You get a couple lights. uh, They're called microgreens or shoots. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you get some nice pea Mm -hmm. shoots out there. Um, It's the exact same thing. You just, you know, you get a bucket of dirt and you Mm -hmm. get a tray like that and you can water it. And then in about a, probably about two weeks in the winter, would you say? For them to sprout, unless mm-hmm. your basement's pretty warm, mm-hmm. I suppose. But um, and then like pea shoots alone, they have like a lot of more vitamin C in pea shoots, and in a cup of a cup of pea shoots have more vitamin C than a cup of blueberries. Mm. So, so we have out there pea shoots. Yes. yes, I can eat that. Yes. Oh, am I gonna kill the plant if I do? Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you that: Would you be willing to teach people how to grow during the winter season? Is that something that you would be open to? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, that might be a good way to. I feel like ultimately the best thing is we have to grow our own food, but of course nobody can do it on a grand scale like somebody mm-hmm. who owns a half an acre, or three quarter of an acre, or even two acres. But what we could do is what is the barest minimum for our family that we can grow, and what kind of crops would you say we should be able to grow in our home? What do you think we can grow mm-hmm. besides the pea shoots and some microgreens? Is there anything else that we can grow? Uh, I don't know, just because it's so difficult to need so much light. Yeah, you know, probably lettuce heads just because they're quick. I've never tried them, but I've heard of people growing them in pots in their basement. Okay. Uh, I would go for things that are, like, shorter turnaround. Okay. So, like, radishes only take, like, 30 or 45 days. It might take a little bit longer in your basement because you're not getting the same light as the sun and everything. But, uh, like radishes, lettuce, um, stay away from things like carrots take like 80 days. So it's just not going to be a very productive mm. long-term like potatoes solution. potatoes would be crazy mm-hmm. to grow in a But what I would say too, and to get, to get back to your question about supporting local farmers, is there's a lot more people uh, locally, which I didn't realize this until we kind of took our class, that um, not only can you grow a lot of greens over winter in Michigan, but you can also grow beets, carrots, uh, rutabagas. Turnips, kale. Yeah, all sorts of stuff that you put in a cooler, and you can have those until February. Mm-hmm. 
And I think getting that is a lot probably fresher and more nutrient-dense just because it's been grown in a local area and Correct. stored mm -hmm. than shipped across the country. So I would say trying to look for farms like that that have the capability, and we hope to get there one day. Where yeah. It's just we're so new, but we'd like to get a greenhouse full of spinach mm -hmm. and kale and everything like mm -hmm. that. So, yeah. so the, uh, the other thing that uh, just uh, uh, popped in my head is like, um, I know the winter season is like really down for farming as such. So, but we all want to have, you know, food like regular stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you guys even have animals on your farm or do you just do plants? We're a plant-based practice, gotcha. but we do um, have a lot of clients of ours who love to have eggs and um, animal products. But would you guys do, um, do that? Where we're at now, it just doesn't make sense because we rent that acreage mm -hmm. from um, the people that we work with. And then, uh, but we just got um, 30 acres after like years of looking for our own land, which after a couple of, um, uh, not exactly next year, but maybe the year after, we'll start uh, bringing chickens, of course, because eggs are just, um, amazing. yeah, eggs are amazing. Oh, you the protein <laughs> and like. Oh, man, make your own pasta. And then probably goats, because goats will, like, eat down all the stuff around. Um, maybe we'll try and milk them. I don't know too much about that. But there's plans, like, in the future, once we get all the other things, like, keyed in. Mm. Yeah. Okay, good. And um, is there um, – so let me ask you this. Did you get just happen to go to a class, or is it something that made you interested? Was there a journey that made you interested in – growing your own food? So I don't think we both had very much experience with growing our own food. No, I uh, had none. <laughs> my, my grandparents both had like victory gardens. Do you guys know what victory gardens are? After yeah. after World War II um, or during World War II, they encouraged that generation. They said, okay, because of the war effort, there's not going to be a lot of farms. Mm -hmm. So the, they encouraged people to plant what they call victory gardens, which are basically big gardens in your backyard and try to, so you wouldn't be supporting on as many farmers because mm. they knew that they weren't going to have enough people. So both of my grandparents came from that generation, and they both had massive gardens when I was younger. Um, and that was, like, my only experience because I was wow. kind of the same with Chelsea where it's like, we maybe grew a tomato plant here or there, but a lot of our stuff yeah, came out of boxes. Know. And, you know, a lot it, of your parents go through that, like, traditional route, and so it's like, oh, like, this is the way that America's going where you're, you know, you come home and you kind of just get all stuff from the grocery store and you put it together into a meal for your family and, like, that's yeah. what they say is good enough. Yeah, but. I think our parents' generation was the first one that was really, like, moved away from farming completely. Yeah. yeah. Everything was so much about convenience. Yes. And now we're the generation that's like, no, we want to go back to that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So how do we know if the soil is good enough to grow? I mean, like, if you see our towel garden just has sponge. Mm -hmm. Um, but we still, I think the food that comes from it is still tasty. I just don't know what it's going to be when I, once I come to your farm or when I have this nice little, I don't know if you guys can see this, uh, baby kale. Yep, baby kale. Yeah. Baby kale. I'll tell you the difference. But in general, um, how do we know if the soil is good? Do you get it tested uh, for minerals and vitamins? We do get it tested. Okay. And okay. we go a little bit further than the normal uh, nitrogen, potassium, mm -hmm. phosphorus, phosphorus, potassium. Uh, we actually go into um, micro or yeah micronutrients okay. like uh, calcium and there's like a whole list of. Do you check for iodine and selenium and stuff like that or no? Um, 
has iodine? I, I think you can get iodine. I don't think it's one that we test for. Okay, got it. The reason we test for those other ones is because I, I recently came across this about a year ago about remineralizing your fields. Mm -hmm. And basically it's just taking rock dust that mm -hmm. they take from like uh, mining mm -hmm. operations yeah. and putting that back on your field and then letting, and the most important thing is your field needs to be microbial alive to break down those rock powders to make it available to the plants. And that's I why think, you need animals. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's right? true. Animals they, they do can... help that. But I think one of the biggest things is, um, and what we're learning is that no-till. So a lot oh. of people, when they think of gardens, they think of getting their rototiller yes, in there so that you can just like, put yeah, your yeah. hand in there like a foot down in the soil. And that is devastating the microbes in your soil. Wow. Oh. And um, there's this interesting thing that plants, uh, through photosynthesis, they create sugars. And you'd think that a lot of those sugars mm -hmm. would be going to the plant. But actually, like 90% of the sugars go it's into the soil to feed the microbes because it's kind of a symbiotic relationship where they're That's like... so cool. Yeah. This so. whole thing... <laughs> I mean, if you look at the design of the world, it's all the same. Diversity. Mm -hmm. Whether it be human beings, whether it be bacteria, whether it be in the soil, the minerals, we just need to be diverse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, the second thing is also how an ecosystem works. Yes. How we literally, the source of energy, ubiquitous everywhere, is the sun. If you don't have something that can capture that energy, yeah. you don't have energy. It's as simple as that. So the photosynthesis and... And microbes are the thing that, it's almost like plants are the thing that captures that energy from the sun, yeah. but the microbes are the thing that holds on to it. And so it's, uh, it allows that long-term succession. And uh, so when you say, is your soil good, mm -hmm. um, if you dig down into it, it should be like a darker color i mm -hmm. guess uh it should always smell very good if you if it starts soil to... smells good I, oh I yeah so. the good soil smells yeah. good <laughs> so the compost yeah. that we put on it's got like a earthy um it should be the color of like coffee grounds almost okay um a lot of the times people have stuff <coughs> that stinks and what that is is that it's anaerobic so you're oh. so that's different microbes getting in there that don't have enough oxygen and those are very devastating to your plants overall so, but I, the one thing that I tell people that in our garden is, I, and I'm like, I know you want that really fluffy soil, mm -hmm. but if you just get used to not tilling, even as deep, even if you can keep that tillage to the top inch, it's going to help those microbes so much, which is in turn going to help your plants. And you'll see after a couple of years, it's that thing that you're talking about where people want that immediate response, right. but it's something that takes a while to build up before. So can you actually check the diversity of the microbes? Do you guys check that? You can. So I got really geeked out this winter, and I watched all these videos, and I, for my birthday, I asked for a $300 microscope. And you can go down there, and it's really hard because, like, I don't know, if you guys ever look through a microscope, it's just, like, little squiggly dots moving around. <laughs> yeah. And you got to go in these books and be like, is that a good one or a bad one? How big is that so, squiggly dot? Is that big? Definitely a big learning curve, but we're trying to see... And, and, and it's crazy to see different parts of the field like, oh, my God, this stuff has a lot of bacteria in it or this stuff has nothing in it. And it's just, you know, the, the part of the field that has nothing in it is usually something that's been run over a, much, a bunch of times. Oh, that's where we so drive. We, kill, we can kill potentially the mycobacteria by just disturbing the soil. For sure. And, and I think that's one of the biggest problems with the food system in general is we do so much tillage that mm. we're ruining our soil. And 
we're and the only reason we can do that is because they use synthetic nitrogen and so that's giving the plants the short-term wow um food that it needs but really i heard someone describe it as synthetic nitrogen is almost like uh steroids for plants or something mm -hmm. like it's it's making them really strong but at the same short time period. exactly a short period and it's killing off the soil which those microbes are also the thing that can absorb the uh, water when you have too much, uh, when you have flooding. It can also keep water when you have drought, uh, holds on to the nutrients. You can have a whole, uh, most people don't know this, but like the whole field can have this, all the nutrients you could ever think of to grow your plants, mm -hmm. but they're just locked up and the plants can't get to them. So that's why you have to keep adding the synthetic nutrients. Mm -hmm. But if you get those microbes working again, then all of a sudden it's all, it's, allows everything to flourish. This is the just the like your gut. Just like your gut. Basically, what is outside in the soil is what's in your gut. Yeah. And it's very true. I think it's crazy how much microbes rule this world. And we, and I think that's something that <laughs> we're just... Soil right now. <laughs> I know. I, actually, well, this is so interesting. It's almost like we should move our practice close to their I farm. should rewrite my book. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm worried about, too, which you guys probably know, is how much your gut bacteria affects your mental state. Mm -hmm. yep. Oh my God, how much you've been reading about that. Yeah, which means basically we just have to eat the food you guys make and we would be mentally <laughs> eat the dirt on the carrots. Yeah. Yeah. Eat the dirt. That's the other thing, guys. Don't clean. Don't keep doing sanitization. Every time I see that, um, that liquid mm -hmm. out in the grocery stores, mm -hmm. we take the vegetables we are wiping and then taking the vegetables i mean that's literally we're killing everything around us mm -hmm. so we, we i think another thing too is for a lot of vegetables the most nutrients can be found in their skin mm -hmm. so a lot of people like to peel things because they don't like that little bit of yeah. dirt on there but i would say try to get a brush and just brush off the brushing it up. Okay. and like I'll, I'll take carrots out of fields like that that have a little dirt on them mm -hmm. and i'll eat them and people will think i'm crazy because yeah. there's dirt on them but so that was my question. Like, that's fine, right? Because yeah. I actually yeah. don't like to watch things. I always, I always like to think of, like, okay, would this, like, what did cave, like, we're not cavemen. Well, like, back in the day, or it's just like, oh, well, cavemen would just pull that out of the ground, probably, and just eat it with a huge amount of dirt on it. And, you right. know, it's, it's pretty clean compared to that. And, like, mm -hmm. that's... So that's why I guess it's important to know the soil because you could have the wrong kind of bacteria in the soil. And I think that's how this whole thing started, where... Your immune system could not take the bacteria. That's how you get the extra infection. But again, uh, so somebody who wants to start gardening in their own little space, mm -hmm. uh, where would they go to get their soil tested? Do they just look for places? Um, there is... There's a state provider help, I guess. They, they do provide some. The problem is a lot of the land-grant universities are very synthetically minded, okay. if I can say that. So okay. the soil tests that they give you are normally the big three, nitrogen, mm -hmm. phosphorus, potassium. There are other places that you can get uh, more comprehensive mm -hmm. tests. When you're talking about just a garden though, I would say just trying to look for a really high quality compost and adding that, and that's gonna add in so much of the stuff that you're missing, that if you just add in a couple of rounds of big healthy compost, and like I said, when you go to find that compost, you should be smelling it and making sure it's not like completely stinky. I mean, it's not going to smell like roses, but it's got a nice earthy like a smell. Like a sweet earthy smell. Yeah. It is, will it be like when, uh, you know, after rain falls on earth, there's a smell that comes yeah, up? It's, yeah, it's kind Almost of close a look. Yeah. Okay. All right. And um, uh, when you say uh, the compost is 
like what is fertilizing the soil. But what about like, do you guys use pesticides to prevent bug infestation? So we practice uh, integrated pest management, which okay. is basically um, we monitor the pests and we only spray when absolutely necessary. And then the things that we're spraying are, well, first off, they're all organically approved, but I think even some of the organic pesticides can be a little bit harsh. And so we really try to research it and go for the, the ones that we think are um, the least effect on humans. And usually those are the ones that last the least amount in the environment. So the common one that we use, which is I think the only thing we sprayed this year. BT? Yes. It's called Bactillus thurgensis. And it's a natural okay. uh, bacteria mm -hmm. that you spray on plants. Mm -hmm. And then when the bugs eat that bacteria, mm -hmm. it makes them not hungry anymore and they stop. Mm -hmm. Oh, and so uh, they we need that for anorexia, for <laughs> <laughs> weight loss, <laughs> right? And then, awesome. no, go ahead. I was going to say, and then too, we, um, but, you know, instead of automatically jumping to that spray, if you know, we'll plant more of a certain thing because we'll be like, all right, like a bug, the bugs are going to eat 20% of this. Okay. Like that's fine. But if they go over that or like way over that, then we'll spray. Or um, we will use things like row cover, insect netting um, to keep the bugs off um, yeah, that's before big, they, they can even That's very big for us is netting that goes over that, plants. That's like, the biggest thing we use is like netting. If we grow arugula, if we don't cover the arugula, guarantee it's going to have a bunch of holes in it from uh, yeah, from flea beetles. Mm -hmm. And so the only way you can beat that is either spray it with something or cover it with this netting, and then they can't get in there. That's an important point to make, though, too, because things are organic and they're still harsh for you. So when you're at the grocery store and you're buying all this bulk organic stuff, you don't know what organic products mm -hmm. they use. Do you guys know who the biggest organic supplier is? Here we go. It's Walmart. <laughs> uh, Walmart, like, you know, they'll buy all up all the farms and stuff. So they own the production and, like, and so, you know, they'll go and they'll fight for, like, I think recently, I don't want to get political, but I think they're, like, well, we will here. lessening, <laughs> like, lessening the, like, restrictions on how you can treat animals in, like, organic settings, which... Yeah. You got your lobbyists in there. Right, yeah. I mean, it's all a money game, and that's why it's very important for those of us. Our practice also is very unique in that we don't look at you, diagnose you with the disease, and give you a drug. We mm -hmm. are trying to tell people we work with your root cause change the diversity of the bacteria in your gut and that's how we help people so um obviously when i'm one of those doctors that gets paid directly by the consumer not by the insurance mm -hmm. for that kind of work so it's mind-blowing to people why would i pay a doctor it's the same thing you yeah. know you're, you're paying for what i am going to put the effort i'm going to put into you for your personalized medicine and or personalized care, I should say, and you guys are making personalized medicine actually, yeah. which you can actually grow to completely prevent disease. Because if you eat like the way, like you guys have kids, they're gonna be absolutely healthy because they, they're never gonna know boxed foods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is what they will mm -hmm. be raised on. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really the cool thing is people need to understand they pay upfront so that later on they're not paying all of what they saved in healthcare costs. Yeah, mm -hmm. and a, a market customer of mine one time told me, she was from, I, I wanna say she was from France, and she said, if you look at what Europeans pay for their food compared to their healthcare, mm -hmm. it's the opposite of what Americans pay. Mm -hmm. And she said, the, the thing in Europe is that so many more people use food to stay healthy so that they don't have to have healthcare. 
healthcare, whereas Americans eat crappier diets to not to get sick so that they could pay for healthcare, and it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's but it's not all strange. of Europe. I think most of Europe does drink and eat meat. Yeah, probably. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's a very good generalization. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of that, one of the things that happens is there's a lot of, uh, um, what do you call it, camaraderie. People hang out with each other when they yes. eat, which is very different. Mm-hmm. So we, first of all, we isolate ourselves because of privacy issues. We don't want anybody to know our business. So we... I, I mean, the only time I know there are kids in my subdivision is on Halloween. Because otherwise, <laughs> I didn't know that they, crazy, you know, right? it, they, yeah. there are kids around. And then we don't want to pay for our health care, but we want to stay healthy. Then we don't want to pay too much for our food. But then we talk about um, how um, organic farming is so expensive. Mm-hmm. But when you actually look at how the process of um, uh, growing these things, it's, it's almost like raising a child and you're raising a child over and over and over again every year. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that would help us, I'm, I'm sure both of you can, not that you have, I know you have a lot of extra time to do this for us, but <laughs> uh, is to give us a sheet that gives us the crop cycles of the common vegetables and fruits that we would like to have just so that we know what is the effort that goes into mm-hmm. each of these crops. If we just have like a sheet, and I think if we have it in our practice, we can show people. And also letting us know what is seasonal in Michigan during the winter season and what they can keep by from a cooler, from a farmer. For sure. Right? Those are the things that would help us educate because we're right in the middle of a suburb and, you know, people come to us. We can initiate the education. And then, of course, at some point, Chelsea, if you can create these maybe once a month uh, a tour around the farm or just an educational class, um, I'm sure we'll gather enough people to come to that. Um, and, um, you know, in, even if they have to pay a small ticket amount, five, ten bucks, I think we can do that and people will be willing to learn. Yeah. So it's something to consider doing. Um, so uh, our the way we look at health is not from a standpoint of disease. By the time you have the disease, I look at disease as a symptom, not as a condition. Mm-hmm. I look at it as a symptom. So when you are a diabetic, your diabetes is a symptom of an underlying metabolic problem. You know what's so funny about that is that's the same way I've started to look at my vegetables. That mm-hmm. if they get a disease, it's not necessarily that they have a problem with that disease. It's that there's something going on with the soil yes. that they are being unhealthy and that that's the natural that's the role of disease in nature is yes. to take out the unhealthy plants. Yes. And you'd be surprised when we have like one broccoli plant that just looks awesome and does huge and all the rest of them are getting eating but that one just doesn't get touched yes. it's like if it's healthy off yes. the bat yes and i was just reading this thing about how um if plants have complete proteins certain insects can't even digest them completely because mm-hmm. they don't have the enzymes or whatever yes. so the only way that when you see plant damage you can be a or pest damage mm-hmm. you can be assured that that plant does not have a complete protein okay. and the reason is because it's got a got to fill all of its carbohydrates first and then its lipids it's got to go all through all these things before it gets complete proteins and Mm -hmm. so it's not say that if there's a bug on your plant it's completely unhealthy and it's not but if there is no pest damage at all and you see that across your garden or very little you can be assured that you're growing a very healthy plant that's going to be very nutritious to you so you can actually take the seed of that plant and continue to 
planted. You can, so, but I think it'd be more about where you're planting that seed. seed if you take that soil. seed and you plant it in a bad, bad soil, it's probably not going to do as well. But there's there's definitely something to say about the genetics being passed down from one to the other. So the environment that your genetics are in. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. You have to bother that. Right. So that's the epigenetics. Now we have it for plants. We have it for a disease process. So like I said, when we see disease, we tell people that's not because you're cursed with that condition. Mm -hmm. It's just we have to see what does your body need so that disease goes away. Yes. Or yeah, and what what do we need to remove from your environment so that you don't have that disease? And I think that concept most people don't understand. Medical school doesn't teach you. We are taught to learn to diagnose the disease early and manage it early but mm -hmm. not resolve it mm -hmm. and the only resolution that we talk to patients about is go exercise and eat healthy which as we speak to people like you we have no freaking clue what eat healthy means <laughs> anymore, right <laughs> um so uh is there anything else that i'm not asking that i should ask and are there any questions that people have if you guys have questions right now probably be the time um to ask jason and chelsea otherwise We'll have lots of information from their farm, I'm sure. And, and we will get you guys now. that little um, uh, information um, on the crop cycle. And maybe a, a little card on what is the best uh, plants we can grow at home ourselves. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so one other thing, or maybe you can like tell us a little bit more about this, about ugly plants and things. That's like their defense if there's a bug on them or whatever, right? And that actually produces more antioxidants. Do you... Everything. Yeah, so I we yeah we've uh, heard we've read that before where, like you know, if the plant gets attacked, it's supposedly releasing more to fight off that bug, and that is supposedly supposed to be really good for us. I don't remember where I read that. We might um, have read the same thing. I know. <laughs> but I mean, that's what I said to people is like you know, don't be afraid of this food just because like sometimes our carrots. We'll have, um, we have a pest that's called a wireworm. There's also a root maggot, which both sound really gross. But it's really just, they'll do, unless it's like really decimated, they'll really only do kind of like a little blemish on the carrot. To where you'll see like a black mark and it's like, oh, gross, I don't want to eat that. But if you just kind of, you know, pull, pull the black up. Yeah, just kind of like shave that little part off and the rest of it's totally good. Like our best food, we send to market and then we eat the stuff that's yeah. left so you're over. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because humans. nobody else really, you know, some people like oh, I love our mark I love all of our mark customers, but especially the ones that'll pop and they'll I'll be like, Yeah, you know this and they'll be like, Oh, I don't care, it's whatever. Like it's yeah. fine. Or I'll be like, Oh, this is, you know, our holy arugula because <laughs> we beetles ate it and like Maybe, like, two people out of five will be like, oh, no, but then other people are like, oh, it's it okay. means it's more peppery? Okay, give it to me. Like, awesome. So, really, it comes down to such a summarize. Your um, microbial diversity and the quality of the microbes in the soil is very important. Don't till your soil, so don't disturb too much. Mm -hmm. um, it takes time to grow um, good stuff. Mm -hmm. Know your crop cycles and pretty much... Um, what else am I missing on the uh, summary of this? Uh, pay your farmers a little extra for your local foods. You don't have to pay That's your health bills later on. <laughs> so, yeah, the more you pay for your food, the less you're going to pay for your medical bills. And um, really, uh, pretty much, um, there's something else that really tied in. Oh, any, anything that looks blemished and diseased might actually be good for you mm -hmm. because they've done all the fight and you don't have to fight. 
And it's like, you know, if you go and you get frozen veggies from the store, it's like you're eating the blemished gross food. Yes. It's like they just put it and they chop all of it up and put it frozen away. Yes. And then also I wanted to say, like, I think our pricing, too, is on par usually with the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So when we're pricing things, like we'll look at, like, the organic price list from you know, the main terminal in like Boston or something. But then we also are like, all right, what's Kroger selling it for? Because then like you know, people come up and like, I'm not going to pay 75 cents for a tomato. And it's like, but they're a dollar a pound at Kroger. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, got it. All right. Okay. Well, you know, thank you very much. And it doesn't look like, I think uh, whoever's listening, they just, I hope the mics were good, but nobody's complaints. So I'm assuming um, it's pretty good. And um, so once again, to wrap it up, make sure we get us a nice card. And it might be good for your marketing too, the crop cycles. And we can talk about what classes we can have and continue to support the local farmers. Um, I'm Dr. Chalam, founder of Full Seek and Integrative Center of Novi, the best place for you to find your best doctor. And we're here with Marina and Jason and Chelsea, who are, uh, what's the name of your farm, by the way? (laughs) Probably we should put that in here. Right now, our farm is called Two Hounds Farm. It's the Two farm hounds. that we rent. Okay. Um, the next year or two, we're going to be switching over to a new farm. It's going to be called Acres of Ambrosia. Acres of Ambrosia. And would you like to say why it's called Ambrosia? Uh, um, so I, I, I'm, I am, was really close with my grandma. And so I bring over food for her because, you know, she was on, I think she was like 150% below the poverty line. Like, mm all social security like end of the month and she didn't like splurge she was so conservative about like what she had and but like every time we bring over food she'd always take bites of it and be like oh, ambrosia of the god oh. <laughs> and, yeah, and she, yeah she just passed away in march so. oh i'm sorry yeah, yeah that, that's nice so well thank you so much for so making much. i know it's a lot of your time to have your farm and come out so we appreciate it my favorite podcast thank you for joining us on the holistic icon podcast subscribe for the podcast and leave us a review on itunes or visit holisticicon.com to listen to past episodes want to take control of your health and live a life of wellness Dr. Chellum's best-selling book, Transform Your Thyroid, teaches you how to overcome fatigue, depression, weight gain, and more, and is available on Amazon.com.